I am Citizen 44. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Marky. Happy birthday to you and many more. We love you. I guess I'm not the first again. Okay, you can open your mail now. I know you're dead already. Hey, Mark, Alan. Wow, happy birthday, man. You know, Monday's a significant day. You're turning 57, so your five is very significant in terms of creation. You've got the five fingers, the five senses, and the five toes. And then you got the seven. you got your seven days a week, seven colors of the rainbow. It's very spiritual and eternal, man. Now, on your birthday, which is Monday, you will be 60 in three years. So now we're talking about the triad, the body, the soul, the spirit. Love you. Happy birthday, Mr. Mark. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday. Thank you very much, brother. <laughs> Who is it? Happy born day. Happy what day? What did I do? Born. Bored? I'm bored? Born. Oh, born day. Happy born day. Hey, thanks, sis, for the happy born day. How old are you? 57 years ago this very day. Last week was Zoe and Val birthday show show day. This one is my birthday show day. So it's back-to-back birthday show day shows. Very cool. It's something. Guess who called in to wish your brother a happy birthday, Rachel? Uh, hold on. You can't. Yes, I can. Hold oh, on. Okay. Is it someone we're related to? No. Is it someone on TV? Many times. Larry David. No, but very close. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld. No, less close. You were closer with Larry. They were born three days apart in the same hospital, and they're best friends. Richard Lewis. I never watched the Larry David show, so I don't know. Yeah, that guy. Oh, the comedian guy. Yeah, the comedian guy. That's the guy. Richard Lewis, calling the show. A nice gift. A nice birthday slash Thanksgiving present. Pretty ridiculous life that I have. Yeah. I went to a fundraiser last week called Stand Up for Pigs. And Stand Up for Pigs? Pits, like pit bulls. Stand Up for Pigs. Oh, pits, yeah, not yeah. pigs. Okay. And... Yeah, he's a funny guy. Yeah. Thanks for calling me on my birthday. Appreciate that, sis. No problem. Have a great birthday. Love you. Thanks. Love you, too. Mark, this is Richard Lewis. I'm in the middle of moving. I'm dealing with fear of intimacy with my wife and my dog. Uh, I have about 100 doctor's appointments to make sure that I'm, I'm, I'm alive and not a ghost. But it's your birthday. On Monday, I think, you'll be 57 years old. And why do I care? Because I'm jealous, Mark. I'm 71. So every day is a miracle for me. But happy birthday. And sooner or later, before 
Do you come to my uh, funeral if you're invited? Uh, I'll do your podcast. Curb's doing great, and I hope you have a great life with your family and continue to talk about me as if we're friends. God bless you, baby. Hey everybody, Mark Ahrensberg here. Welcome to Citizen 44. This is show number 60, 60, big one. One of those 10 marker things. What is that when you go 10 something? I don't know. Anyway, yep, it's my birthday today, 57 years old. 57 Chevy, Heinz 57, Ketchup 57. 57, 57, 57. And uh, yeah, pretty good day. Lots of super highs, super lows, super middles. Got my favorite burrito at Ruby's, the cup of coffee at Case. And uh, there's still balloons up in streamers from Zoe's birthday. Two balloons have popped. We've lost two balloons, two balloons down. But uh, the rest remains. And so there you go. Lots of nice people saying nice things to me on this show. And uh, we have the incredible, the legendary, the amazing Sylvia Massey. Sylvia is a good friend, world-renowned music producer, engineer, cool, down-to-earth, talented, wicked, funny, smart, and all that. So let's get right to that. Happy birthday, Dad. Love you. Zoe. Hi, Sylvia Massey. Hello, Mark. Didn't you just have some kind of liquid something? Didn't you make something? Yes, I got back from a long trip, and now I'm going straight on to a fasting diet just to uh, cleanse myself and get back to zero. When you go out on these trips, you want to experience the culture and the tastes of a new country. So I tend to eat a lot while I'm out on the road. You've been all over the world. Why would you not want to sample everything they have to offer? Well, there's so much out there, and I must taste it all. Where'd you just get back from? Just got back from New Zealand. What'd you do there? I did a bunch of workshops and a recording session at a place called Roundhead Studios in Auckland. Auckland, New Zealand? Yeah. The band that I recorded is called Ha the Unclear. Ha, H-A, the Unclear? Yes. Okay. (laughs) Then I worked with the New Zealand producer series and went to Massey University in Wellington and went to Auckland University in Auckland and then did a bunch of radio and TV too. What do you talk about? I talk about uh, the recording industry and uh, a little bit about my history and the people that I've worked with. And you produced a book called Recording Unhinged. Yes. And it's full of your experiences and your illustration work as well? Yeah, I had a lot of fun writing that book with Chris Johnson, my partner. We took a year to finish it, but I did get to illustrate the whole thing, and we uh, collected studio stories from all different producers and engineers, and um, it's pretty entertaining. I think I'm on the cover. Aren't I carrying a pizza box? You are on the cover. Well, you've been a part of my life for a long time. I was thinking about this yesterday, actually. Music did not enter my life formally until I met you and Doug. Oh, and then it became formal because we dragged you into the studio and recorded an album. You or did two. not drag me. <laughs> that was outrageous that I've Wasn't even fun? had that real rock and roll experience yeah. with someone of your caliber. Are you kidding me? The whole thing's ridiculous, actually. Well, do you remember how we met? 
Well, you know, Doug is the only one who's ever told the story many, many, many <laughs> times. And I've never heard it from you because your perspective is obviously going to be a little different than Doug's and mine. I'd love to hear it from you. You know, I used to live in Weed and I would come up on the weekends to do shopping in Ashland and in Medford. And I would stop at Ashland so that I could have sushi because there's no sushi down in Weed. So I would stop and have sushi at Bonsai. And I'm sitting in a booth there and I'm overhearing the conversation in the neighboring booth. And it's about people in a recording studio. And uh, the drummer is talking about how uh, he just did his drums in the studio and how good it was. And there was two people sitting at the booth. Obviously, one was you, and then Doug was the other one. And uh, you were both having a chat about the studio. And I'm sitting there, oh my God, I own a studio in weed. Do these people even know that there's a professional studio, like world famous studio in weed? And I couldn't resist, and before I left, you guys were still sitting at the booth, and I pulled out a business card, and I just set it on your table, and I says, hi, my name's Sylvia. I uh, have a studio in Weed, and I'm overhearing your conversation about your recording session. Just wanted to let you know that there's a really great studio in Weed, and you should call me and let me know, you know, if you need any help. And I just left, and maybe months later, someone called and said, hey, I have a friend who would really like to do some engineering and can you help him out? And you sent over your friend, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> well, Chris and I are partners. We wrote that book together. I know, it's ridiculous how one thing led to another because Doug looked at your card and thought, radio star, this is nothing. She looks like some lady who's maybe recording out of her son's bedroom somewhere, maybe in <laughs> weed. And he was gonna throw it away. He folded it in half. Oh, I no. said, give it to me. So I stuck it in my pocket, and the next time the three of us were quasi-recording, I gave it to Chris, knowing that Chris would do something. And he did. He looked you up and said, do you knuckleheads know who this person is? Well, the funny thing is, is Chris came by the studio to learn to be an intern and to just learn what it was like inside the studio. And he lasted a couple days. <laughs> On the second day, I went into the studio kitchen and I looked around and I said, "Who? what happened in here? Who did this? Because the place was spotless. <laughs> he is quite fastidious. <laughs> I mean, to the point where the toaster had the crumbs cleaned out of it. I didn't even know that toasters have a little You didn't drawer. know there was a little thing on the There's bottom? A little that... drawer. I never knew. Where'd you think all the crumbs went? They just burned up? They burned up? <laughs> I don't know. So instead of having him do engineering, I thought, well, this guy needs to be in management, obviously. He's much more valuable as a manager. So he managed the studio for several years. And now I live with him here, and we're actually building another studio, a second studio in Ashland. We have the one at the church, but we are sitting right in this beautiful palace. <laughs> are you going to keep the one at the church as well? Or? Absolutely. Okay, because that's brilliant. Oh, no, that's not going to change. It's not like you're going to move that Neve board anytime oh, soon, no, right? It's, that's going to stay there. And also the church has become a venue. There's live shows there now and church services on Sundays. What's the name of the church? The church is Church Divine. And where is it located? It's right there at 748 Siskiyou Boulevard. Is that on the corner of Liberty there? Yes. Across right the street the from Triangle Park? That is correct, yeah. It's an incredible space. It's kind really. of a little secret right there. But yeah, Chris and I are both ordained ministers. So we created our own doctrine and we have services. And uh, Chris does a service about once a month and we'll send out a notice to his mailing list. 
I've been several times. I've even been there when Buddhist monks showed up. It's outrageous. I mean, it is church, but it's like this super casual learning something about life and having intelligent conversation about things. Well, that's what it's about. It's a spiritual look at the world and not necessarily through one narrow view. It's uh, taking into consideration that there's all kinds of great spiritual things in the world. Can we get in the Wayback Machine? Yes. What year were you born? Oh my God. We need a rough idea of when you showed up within the planetary system. It was in the 20th century. Oh my God, you are so vague. (laughs) Oh, look, me too. I mean, you're not older than me, are you? Yeah, I think so. How old are you? I'm going to be 57 in a couple days. Yes, I'm older than you. A little bit? Yeah. Okay. All right. So you are born in the late 50s? Yes. Okay, let's just leave it at that. Okay. And where were you born? Flint, Michigan. I did not know that. Yeah. What was going on back in those times when you were a wee one in Flint, Michigan? Dad worked at General Motors and Mom was an opera singer. And uh, Dad used to uh, build stereo equipment in the house from kits. And he would sit me in front of a tape recorder that he built. When I was two years old, he gave me a microphone and had me uh, listen to my voice through the recorder. He just let me have that mic for hours. He couldn't get it away from me, you know. It obviously set my direction in life. So between that and your mom being an opera singer, how did she get into opera singing? She was a singer from the beginning. She was always involved in music and then became professional and was the star of several operas the municipal opera there in the area. So I would go to her shows and sit on my great-great-aunt's lap, and I remember the operas. It was great. Your dad did what now for a living? Mechanical engineer. And did he do that his whole life? Well, at one point, he decided that we needed to move to the Navajo Indian Reservation. Was that nearby? No, that was in Fort Defiance, Arizona. So he packed up the family and moved out there and he ran a gas station there. He leased a gas station on the res and I went to school at the Indian school. I was one of two white kids in the school. Why did he feel the you urge know, to do I that? I asked him much later why exactly he did that. And he said he wanted to help the Native Americans. I believe that he was sincere in that. He did that for, I guess, almost a year and kind of just threw up his hands and left the business, and then we moved to Denver. And what did he do in Denver? He got a job at Samsonite, and then he bought a shop that he had an auto garage in, much like the place we're sitting in now. This is Tony's old place. This is Tony's old place, and it's so familiar for me. I walk into this place, and it smells like home. (laughs) Now, your father passed not too long ago. yeah, about six months ago. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, thank you. What's his name? Don. Don. Yeah. Yeah, it was his birthday yesterday, and I miss him. Well, happy birthday, Don. Well, he would be very excited to see this place, you know. We're sitting basically in a partially converted auto garage with a shop over on this side, and then I've got my little studio mixing rig here and my office desk, and Chris has his office in there, and then the whole other side of the building is the future studio, and... There's more? Oh, yeah, the the future bar and restaurant. What? Yes. Hmm. Oh. This sounds like it's going to get really exciting oh, around we're right here. right here on A Street, steps away from Noble Coffee, which is one of my favorite spots here in Ashland. 
You're a little kid. You're moving around. He sounds like he's moving you around like he's in the military, but he wasn't. No, he moved around a lot. Did he just get antsy and need to go to new places? I'm not really sure what motivated him to leave Michigan, but I'm glad. And your mom just went along, right? Yeah, she went along. And your mom's still around, Ida. Yes. She's such a lovely lady. Yes, Ida Moody. Yeah, she floats around and goes to the senior group and sings very loudly at ball games. And you guys only moved to Ashland a few years ago, right? Mom's been here now for two years. She moved up from Weed. I've moved up now since 2013, I guess it's been. It was a big move from Weed up here. And um, yeah. Music. Yes. So your dad's got you going on the mic. What were some of the other experiences that led to you even having some interest in music at all? Well, I was less interested in music as I was just the equipment when I was growing up because uh, mom was the music star in the family. But I loved tinkering with machines and I would get the cassette recorder, actually two cassette recorders, and I'd record something on one and then play that back while I was recording on a second one. So I was basically multi-tracking just by myself when I was, you know, nine years old. But the fun thing that I would do is get all the neighborhood kids in Colorado where I grew up in Golden and get them all to play a part in a kind of a theatrical radio show. And uh, we would all read scripts. And then I had some music on a turntable that I'd have ready for the background music and we would make little radio shows on cassettes. Did you write the scripts? Yes. Do you remember any of them? Oh yeah, I have a recording of one somewhere. It's pretty funny. And so I was directing those recordings and bossing people around pretty early. So you've been producing and engineering since the (laughs) get-go and bossing people around in a good way. Yeah. I had never even heard a click track before I came into your studio. No. Never I done thought it. you were a seasoned musician when you came in. Nope, still not. <laughs> you got the best out of oh, me. I don't know how you did it. No, no. Oh. If it wasn't for you, none of my stuff would have even uh, happened. Aren't those records great, though? Super fun. Public album and the Lucky Doug and the Stink Bugs. Unbelievable that we created that stuff together. Yeah. My favorite stuff. Wow. Well, I was honored to be instructed by you and be in that really professional environment with someone who cared deeply about what she was creating and about the people that she was working with. It was just a phenomenal, real rock and roll experience. You know, when you're producing, you just have to completely absorb yourself into the project and, uh, you know, kind of feel like you're a part of the band for a time. You were. I got to be a part of your band. Not only that, but you pushed me in directions of lacking in comfort for me like keyboards and theremin and violins singing and all these other things that i'd never really done i think you're actually a really good keyboard player huh maybe better than drumming again i don't know what i'm doing i'm just having a good time and and through your leadership and guidance you were able to somehow get something that was usable out of me which i'm always quite blown away by (laughs) that you don't just send me out of the room and say thanks for coming So you're recording your friends, you're making shows. What came after that? How did that progress into your now legendary career? Well, I did get the uh, music bug later when I started going to Cal State University. I joined up with some musicians there and we had a little band called The Hats. Hats, H-A-T-S? Yes, which was kind of a little bit of comedy rock too. 
and uh, had a lot of fun with that. Then I moved to San Francisco with the thoughts of being a star, you know, big music star or whatever. And I got involved in some all-girl punk bands and all-girl metal bands and did that and took these projects into the studio. I did uh, get involved in radio when I was in college and I got a commercial radio job actually producing commercials. And so I used the equipment that I had available to me and I recorded my band. And that turned out pretty good. So I recorded other people's bands and their projects actually turned out better. So I just stopped doing my own thing and kept doing other people's projects and eventually was able to get a job in a uh, music studio instead of a radio studio. And what studio was that, your first one? The first one was Bear West Studios in San Francisco. And who was running that studio at that time? That was Ross Winetsky. And how did he end up with you? I just went in and said, hey, I got this experience. I know how to use these 8-track machines. Give me a job. And he did, and I got paid from day one. How long were you with him? Oh, for a while. But then I got fired from that job. And, (laughs) you know, when you've got all the candy in the candy jar, you just want to eat it all the time. So I was staying up late and doing my own projects. And he didn't like that? No. We have some parallel experiences, (laughs) I have to say. It's hard to keep me away from working in the studio. Well, it's fun. It's the best job in the world. It really is. So I worked at Ross's place for a while, and we're still friends today, actually. He... He tried to hire me back to do some training for him later, but I kind of moved on. I did work at several other studios in the Bay Area and worked on a project with a young guitarist named Kirk Hammett, and uh, he had just joined Metallica, and they just finished a record called Master of Puppets. We were co-producing a band called the Sea Hags in San Francisco. What year was this? This was like, oh... 1986 or 85, something like that. So this co-production came out great. And the manager of the band managed to get the master that we did into the hands of a label in Los Angeles. And they got signed to a big deal. So here was my big chance. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to LA. I'm going to record my band, the Sea Hags, because they love me so much because I've made this record with them. That's not what happens, though, in the real world. They dumped me. (laughs) And they went and worked with a guy named Mike Klink, who had just finished Guns N' Roses. And there was no way I could compete against that because that just blew up. And this was uh, late 80s, so that was the peak of Guns N' Roses. And Sea Hags went to L.A. and worked with Mike Klink, and the record came out. And I was determined to get on board with that. I felt like if I stayed in San Francisco, I would never get the opportunity, so I packed up and moved to LA and then I tried to get a studio job couldn't get a studio job anywhere no one would hire me so I wound up getting a job at Tower Records on Sunset Boulevard and then where'd you go after Tower a place called Larrabee Sound I managed to get the job there just by basically lying my way in. <laughs> it kept on knocking on the door and saying hey do you need anyone and they said no 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 But if you know how to solder, we have a job in the tech shop. And I was like, of course I know how to solder. But I really never soldered before. But I figured I'd been around it long enough that I could just pick it up. So give me the job, okay. So they threw me upstairs in the shop with this really intimidating chief engineer who immediately gave me a big project to pin a whole Elkel with like a big snake and all these pins. And I needed to use this special tool to pin the Elko, the cable. I took the whole thing into the corner and I was just fighting with this tool just to get it to work. And I just didn't know how to do it. And uh, I went back over and asked Don Petty, the chief engineer, 
Can you just show me exactly how you would like this done? Don looked at me and he says, you've never done this before, have you? And I said, no. And he says, well, you're fired. So I, I left. I was devastated, but the people at the studio really thought that was so brave of me to do that they called me up and they said, we don't have an engineering job for you, but if you'd like to come in and be a runner and make coffee, we do have that job. And I was like, yes. So I did that for four months before an engineering job opened up. The lesson learned there is that I should have just gone for that starting position. How did that transpire into much bigger things for you? Well, when you're in Los Angeles, opportunities are much better for working with stars. So right away, I was working with Prince and Aerosmith, but I was in the background. Basically, I was an assistant. So I would wait to be called on to help on a session, but I would be available. I was not hands-on on the equipment yet, but the opportunity came during a Christmas holiday when the main engineer on a project for Aerosmith decided he didn't want to come in. He wanted to spend Christmas with his family. So uh, he just looked at me, he says, do you want to do this session? I thought, well, of course. Wow, and what year was that? 1990. That was from the Pump album, and the song was Take Me to the Other Side, and it was a remix with Matt Dyke and Rick Rubin. Oh, that's when you met Rick Rubin. There's your launch pad, right? Oh, right from uh, the early days right there at Larrabee. I think it's a little strange what happened right before then, actually. This was a really crucial time in my life because I kind of loved to party. I was partying all through my San Francisco days, and I just had a birthday, and I stayed up all night doing a bunch of coke and drinking and and I had to call in sick to work at Larrabee and that was my crossroads. I had to make a choice, you know, am I going to get serious with life? I mean, here's an opportunity that I don't want to screw up. So do I want to just be partying or do I want something serious? So I quit everything right then. It was super difficult. I did have some help from some engineers who were also sober. And one engineer, Alan Meyerson, took me to my first AA meeting and helped me to um, get control of it. And I think within months and within that first year after sobriety, all this stuff started happening. The Aerosmith, the Prince, all this stuff really just was life-changing and it steered my life's direction since then. So I'm very protective of my sobriety. That reminds me of Richard Lewis. That's his whole life. His dialogue is about sobriety. Yeah. Well, the great thing is uh, I'm always the designated driver. I'm always the one that's always paying attention. I'm less distracted. I can focus like nothing else. So I just think it's the best way to live, personally. There were some bad times. If I have any question about slipping at all, I could just think of those times, literally in the gutter in San Francisco a couple times. Wow. Yeah. How did you end up in San Francisco? That was just uh, moving around. So you were out of college at that time? Yeah, college. How'd you do in school? I never finished. I went three years and I started in graphics, but then I got involved in the college radio and that became everything. How'd you do in high school? Dropped out. When? When I was uh, 16. What'd you do with yourself? Oh, I had to leave. Yeah, I had to leave the house. So I had to, you know. Figure it out. Yeah, (laughs) figure it out. (laughs) Yeah, I was kind of a hot mess as a teenager and in my 20s too. But I got my shit together when I was uh, 30. Yeah, 30 was my year of sobriety. So that would be 1989. 
Haven't had a drink or smoke or no pot, no nothing. That's fantastic. And what happened since quitting was just so amazing. And I, I see that with other people that get sober is that these things just start happening right away. So good things can happen. And they did for me too. That's when I got involved with Tool. Tool turned out to be friends from Tower Records when I first moved to LA. And I connected with those people when I worked at Tower and then kept in contact with them. And they were in a band called Green Jello. We actually got a budget to do an album together in LA. And I did part of it at Sound City and then part of it at Larrabee. And that became very successful. It was number 24 on the top singles list on Billboard. Then that just led to all this other work, the Tool albums and System of a Down and R.E.M. and Smashing Pumpkins and Chili Peppers and um, Johnny Cash and um, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Yeah, you got a few platinum and gold record things I've seen (laughs) hanging up in the place over there. A bunch of stuff, huh? How many years have you been professionally doing the music production? If you look at my San Francisco time, too, which I consider to be professional, then it's been 35 years. Wow. Yeah. You're kicking ass maybe more now than ever, aren't you? There's so much work, and I kind of pick and choose what I want to work on, and then they fly me places. I have been in 11 countries this year, so it's crazy. It's fantastic, and I'm really glad you have Chris to help orchestrate a lot of this stuff for you because he is management material. Isn't he? Oh, my God. He managed the studio so well, and now he manages my career and books all the sessions, runs the studio up there at the church, and yeah, it's a miracle. There's something that I like to do called adventure recording, which is taking portable recording equipment and going to different locations and recording music or whatever in unusual locations. So I go to different places and recently went to the underground in London and did recording, recorded a music group down in an abandoned London subway station, which was really creepy and cool. And then another group called Thunder Pussy, I recorded at an abandoned nuclear power plant. It was the craziest day. That was great. And there's a bunch of places I would like to go, so you want to stay tuned and see what happens this week because there's a big radio tower in the Midlands in England that apparently we will be able to go up there and record in, hopefully. There's an underwater laboratory that you can scuba dive to, and I'm thinking of carrying recording equipment down there and recording a music group in the laboratory uh, 100 meters down. Pretty soon you're going to be in a submarine recording some people. Already have done. Oh, you did that already? Oh, sorry. Well, not only do you record in very odd locations, because your book is called Recording Unhinged, you do very odd recordings with odd devices and even vegetables. I mean, you record with pickles, don't you? Yes, there's pickles and vegetables, potatoes, but really the most exciting stuff recently has been putting audio through various kitchen appliances. Just imagine like putting audio through a blender. How do you put it through it? You take the speaker output of an amplifier and then run it through the appliance and then continue after the appliance onto the speaker. Get the sound of the audio going through the electronics of a blender and if you hit certain frequencies, the blender will start up. I do this with power drills like 
hand tools like power drill. The drill starts up and it's just a crazy sound. Sometimes I'll use additional filters. Experimentation is so much fun. Now, when I go to do a new session, I'll drag the musicians or the workshop attendees to a local thrift store and we'll go look for a list of items and that would be old transistor radios which we can modify to become little guitar amplifiers. We look for old telephones because we can modify those to be microphones. We are looking for hoses and funnels, anything that generates noise. Old transformers are great filters. So we just go junk shopping and then whatever we find, we bring back to the studio and make noise and do recording with it. The one I just did that I'm currently mixing is that Ha, the unclear band from New Zealand. And for the effects on the vocals, oftentimes it's nice to have a delay effect, which is kind of an echo effect. And you can get a standard computer-generated delay effect. But what I like to do is do something completely unique, which is generating a delay using iPhones. So you get three iPhones and you have your singer sing in one while calling the other two on a conference call and then you put mics on the other two. Now, there is a delay between your voice on one phone going up to the satellite and coming back to Earth. That's your delay. So now <laughs> you record that and use that in your recording and it's spectacular. It's a completely unique sound. Wow. There's all kinds of stuff that you can do which is original and fun when you're recording music. Some singers all play with their psyche a little bit to get them to do what I want. Singers are very delicate and they oftentimes become sick right before it's time to do their singing parts because they're stressing about their vocal cords so much. They think about it too much, so I try to distract them and I give them little jobs to do. Okay, now we're gonna sing. And while you're singing, I want you to express every word with your hands. I want you to give me sign language with your hands while you're singing. I want you to stand on one leg. Sometimes I'll even put a singer on a chair because they're so worried about falling off the chair while they're singing. They're not thinking about their throat anymore, you know. I've hung singers upside down. I did that with the singer from System of a Down. I won't do that again, though. How did the vocals come out? Not that good. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I will make a singer run around the block if I don't think he's getting all the way there. You just need to cool out for a minute. I did that with the singer from Tool to get him to uh, reset, to come back in and sing it right. You know, when you work with Tom Petty, bless his soul, I'm sorry he's gone, but you know, it's one take. There's no reason to do another take, maybe two takes. And boy, if you're an engineer and you miss that first take, you're... You suck. You suck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The professionals have all been really great. The musicians that are not quite professional seem to be the most work. If they want to hand me over the reins and let me make decisions on instrumentation, arrangements, writing parts, writing vocal parts, writing lyrics, I'll go as far as they want me to go. And when an artist will give me that latitude. Wow, watch out, you know? Then I pull out all the goodies and we make magic. That's what happened with us. I remember we were doing a song called Motorcycle Mania and I said to Doug, well, what about a motorcycle solo? Sure, okay. So I brought a motorcycle into the studio and sat on it and revved the throttle. You know, you can actually play a motorcycle. 
you can play. Yes, it's melodic. Yeah. Not only did you do that, which was insane, <laughs> we had Ian ride up and down the street, and you were getting these drive-bys with a microphone, which sounded so cool on that song. Uh, everything yeah. sounded cool on that song. Yeah. And that's, I think, uh, another thing about recordings today is that everything is kind of computer-generated. For me, you know, I could either paint a picture or I could make a sound picture and the listener gets to paint that picture in their head. It's exciting. When I take an artist into an unusual location, like, for instance, if I take a singer into a cathedral and say, okay, we're going to sing in this grand room with all its reverbs and its grandeur and the beautiful glass and light and that singer is going to sing completely differently than if they're in a stuffy little vocal booth in a recording studio. And even if they sing word for word, inflection to inflection, the same way that they did in both places, there's something that's imprinted into the sound. There's a joy in it, you know. You feel a joy when a recording was done in an unusual way. There's unidentifiable communication happening there that's without words. Something we haven't talked about, which is another thing that blows my mind, and the first time I saw you do it, I almost fell off my chair. We were in Radio Star. We were trying to figure out what some car looked like or something. <laughs> and you just drew this picture of a vehicle just like that. You are a freaking savant oh, when it comes to you. art. And I don't get to do it enough, but that's part of the reason why we're building this place on A Street is that it will be not only a recording studio and a workshop, but it will be an art studio and hopefully with a gallery so I can take a break off of producing music and do art because they're related somehow, you know, using similar parts of the brain. What's on the horizon for you? What do you got coming up next? I have a ton of work to do here. Mix is backed up for a full year, so I'll be busy right here where you're sitting, uh, right in front of this mix rig with the two speakers and uh, the computer screens. And I'll be doing that for the next month, then on to Miami for a film shoot, and then on to Los Angeles for a session at Capitol Records. Cool. Yeah. All right, so if you will, give us one story that maybe you had with somebody that we would know who they are tell you a story about working with Prince. I worked with him for about three years at Larrabee, and he would sit in the back of the room in a big overstuffed chair, and his assistant would bring a stack of magazines for him to read. And then I looked at the magazines, and I was like, oh, they're women's magazines. They're like Glamour and Vogue. And I was like, well, what is he doing checking out women's fashion magazines? I couldn't understand what it was about. Then he would look at these magazines and then he would point at a model's picture and then hand the magazine to Dwayne. So I understand now, he was shopping for dates. He would point at the model's photo in the magazine, hand it to Dwayne, and the next week she would be flown in to the session. And she would come in and there would be a date for Prince. He had a lot of dates. He had two limos outside while I was working with him. Usually, there was a black limo and a white limo, and there was a girl waiting in each one. And then his own car was parked in the parking lot, and oftentimes he would ditch everybody and just jump in his car and drive off. He was the best musician I'd ever worked with. Whatever instrument he would grab, he could play perfectly and also be dancing and spinning on his heels while he was doing it. 
That was an experience I'll never forget working with Prince, but I'm not saying it was easy. He was extremely difficult. We would have to wait for him to show up. No idea when he would show up. 16 hour days, every day, no days off for years. It was exhausting. So I had the choice of either moving to Minneapolis to work with Prince at Paisley Park. I was offered a job. And at the same time, I was offered the job to produce Tool. I took Tool. And then when I turned down Prince, I never heard from him again. Well, I want to say thank you. It's been quite a ride with you for the past so many years. Well, I'm glad to be your friend, Mark. And again, thanks for uh, connecting me into the Ashland world. It's because of you that I'm here. And I have to say a very special thank you and a happy birthday to you. Thank you. Well, this show is dedicated to Dawn. Thank you very much. Mr. Mark, happy birthday. I just wanted to give you a shout and uh, say that today. I got some good news for you. You're finally able to uh, draw Social Security, and you're only two miles from the graveyard. Uh, It's to the left, just so you know. But I just want to wish you a happy birthday. Hope all is well, and uh, I'll be seeing you on Tuesday. So let's talk before I come over and do the interview and also have dinner with you guys. I'm really looking forward to it. All right, buddy. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Mark. Uh, it's the uh, Rattlesnake Man Dan. Keep up with it, uh, Citizen 44. Happy birthday. Bye. Mark, this is Lucky Doug Burgess calling to wish you a happy birthday. And here's my birthday song for you. Stolen from the doors and rearranged as you slip into your birthday suit. An open grandma's card, hopefully containing lots of loot. I wish you a fine 57th. You don't look a day over 57. Your birthday ship is being filled. A thousand female middle-aged gray-haired yoga instructing vegan massage therapists. A thousand thrills. A million ways to spend your time when you get back. Please drop a line. When I woke up this morning, you were on my mind. You were on my mind. Happy, happy birthday, happy birthday to you, have a great year ahead of you, happy birthday, Mark, from Annie. Hey, Mark, this is Tim Johnson, I just wanted to call and wish you a happy birthday, and uh, just wanted to give my regards and say hi to Sylvia while she's with you. I recorded a song with her in Oregon in 2017 called Gone, so I just wanted to get on there and say hi, and uh, I hope you have a great day and have a great weekend. Happy birthday, Mark Ahrensberg. This is your friend Greg Gobelt wishing you a happy birthday. Wanted to tell you that I appreciate you very much as a friend. I love you, and uh, I love your directness and your straightforwardness, all comprised of candor, really, and I love it. You're a great friend. You've always been there for me. I love being there for you as well. 
And also, by the way, today, November 19th, White Punks on Dope in 1977 was released in the UK. And that song and the irreverence of that song really sums up how cool I think you are. And uh, I just wanted to send lots of love. Happy birthday. I wish you the best this year. Congratulations on all the shows. Look forward to number 100. Take care, man. Bye. Hey, dude. Happy birthday. It's John. Wishing you a happy birthday. Hope you guys have a great time. Can't wait to hear the show. All right, let's talk soon. Love ya. See you. Hey, Allison. Hi, happy birthday. Thanks, Allison. I actually just left you a message of a song called Allison. Oh my gosh. Wow, I know this song. <laughs> yeah, but I sang it. I didn't just like leave some pre-recorded thing. I sang it to you and don't know most of the words. So enjoy that. Oh, I will. I'll have to have a listen as soon as I get off the phone. Okay. So. What's going on? Where are you? <laughs> well, I'm in LA. I just got in from Berlin day before yesterday, so I'm a little jet lagged. What'd you do in Berlin? <laughs> music stuff. I'm, yeah, I'm going to be working with some producers out there on my new music project. So I went to meet up with some people and get some things set up and arranged. And then I got to know the city, and I am considering moving there for the spring of next year. There's just a lot of happening in the music industry there, a lot more than uh, anywhere on the West Coast right now, for sure. Uh, San Francisco's a little tapped out. Where are you at? I'm in Ashland, Oregonia, back in the oh. hood, living with the people. Thanks for calling in the show, caller. What do you got to say? I just wanted to sing you happy birthday. Happy birthday. Love you too, Allison. Thanks for calling. Bye. Bye. Hey, Mark. It's Melissa. Happy, 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 happy birthday. I hope it's a wonderful day. The best birthday yet. Leading into the best year yet. Leading into the next best birthday yet. I'll see ya. Bye. Love you, brother. Hey, Marky Mark. It's Gene Burnett wishing you a happy 57th birthday and happy show number 60. Why, I remember my 57th birthday, it was like it was only four years ago. Called it my Heinz tomato sauce birthday. 57 varieties, baby. Have a great day, Marky Mark. Have a great day and a great show. I love you and I'll listen to you soon. Bye. Hi, Mark. This is Barbara Brown, one of your Facebook friends. I just wanted to wish you a very happy 57th birthday on this special day. And I'd like to say hello to Sylvia on show number 60. And um, congratulations. Sounds good. Wish I were out in Oregon. Take care. Well, that's the show. I hope you enjoyed it. It was super fun to have all these people as part of my birthday. I'd like to thank Acacia Land, Alan Hicks, Annie Hoy, Barbara Brown, Dan Elster, Gene Burnett, Greg Gobelt, John Whitehead, Lucky Doug, Melissa Scudder, Mitch Mills, my mom and dad, the impeccable Mr. Richard Lewis, Ruth Kennedy, 
Tim Jensen, my sister Rachel, my mother and father, and Allison Smith. I also want to thank, of course, Miss Sylvia Massey. Such a fun show. It was great to be in her new space, and uh, I'm glad things are working out so well for her. She is a superstar, the rock and roll of rock and roll recording. Citizen 44 with Mark Ahrensberg is a listener-supported presentation. You can check out all the shows at Ahrensberg.com. That's A-R-I-N-S-B-E-R-G.com. They're also on iTunes, CastBox, and Stitcher. I also have a Patreon site. If you want to go throw down with five bucks a month for a year for $60, you'll be entitled to other material. Yeah, I don't know what that is, but there'll be certainly other material. It's great to do the show. I am honored to share my birthday show with you, show number 60, 60. I received a fabulous gift just now from my daughter Zoe, Richard Lewis. I think you'll appreciate this. It is all 88 episodes of the Larry Sanders Show on DVD, one of my top five favorite shows in the history of television. All right, everybody. Thanks so much. Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday to you. Bye-bye. To find out more about Sylvia Massey, visit her online at sylviamassey.com. That's S-Y-L-V-I-A-M-A-S-S-Y.com. You can also check her out on Facebook. Thank you, Sam, Zoe, and Val. Whatever you're doing is not working. There's only one way you can change that, and that's to change what you do, 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 change what you do. I am Citizen 44.